grace and peace be yours in abundance, my brothers, my sisters, in Christ. You know the feeling. It's that first morning that you wake up in your own bed, in your own house, your own apartment, instead of at the all-inclusive Caribbean resort or on a cruise ship. It's that first day that you spend staring at the computer screen at work or staring at your soldiers that you're bossing around instead of staring at the beautiful sunrise on the beach. It's that first day that you wake up and shuffle around silently your house, no longer hearing the laughter and the, the joy of your friends and family who were just staying with you. It's called the letdown effect. You have this mountaintop, high, positive experience, and then when it's over, boom, you feel down, you feel low, you feel depression symptoms is what you feel. You feel low energy, low mood, maybe even low self-esteem, maybe even a bit pessimistic about the future. The letdown effect is real. It happens. Are you feeling it now? Last week, it was Easter. We had a wonderful Easter for Kids event on that Saturday where we got to share joy in Jesus' resurrection. And then on Easter Sunday, we had this sunrise service where we got to share that joy again. Then we had this wonderful brunch in the fellowship hall where lots of volunteers brought delicious, delicious food. We got to enjoy each other's company. And then a song service where we got to sing out Jesus' praise. It was such a, a high experience, such a positive weekend. Did you feel the letdown effect on Sunday afternoon or maybe Monday morning? Do you feel like now it's back to regular life, whatever that means for you? What can be done about the letdown effect? Well, the University of Wisconsin medical website suggests a couple things to mitigate the letdown effect in your life. One suggestion is that you keep a positive outlook that you keep your chin up, because pretty soon the letdown effect itself will be gone. You won't feel so down anymore. Life will pick up steam, and soon you'll be looking forward to the next big thing. Another suggestion is to plan something that you will look forward to. If you're bummed that the guy's trip or the girl's trip is over, start thinking about your next guy's trip or girl's trip. If you're bummed that your Caribbean vacation is over, start putting away money and making plans for your next vacation. Start looking for the next thing to keep your hopes up. What do you think about that, though? Is that what life really is meant to be? Are we really supposed to live out our lives swinging from one positive experience to the next, like monkeys swinging across vines through the jungle? Is your life only good and worth living if you have something on the horizon to look forward to? Because if the answer is yes, then what if you don't have anything? What if you're not about to graduate? What if you're not about to get a, a new job? What if you're not about to get married or have a kid? What if your life is just not a whole lot going on outside from the usual? Or worse, if the purpose of your life is to have those mountaintop positive experiences, what does that do to the in-between time? 
If you're only looking for, if the only positive thing about your life is that vacation that's coming up, then what about those days that you're staring at the computer screen at work? Those days become meaningless. You're just crossing them off until that vacation day comes, aren't you? Nobody goes to the doctor just to sit in the waiting room, right? No, you're waiting for the doctor to come out. And it, it, from our perspective, that time that you spend waiting for something to happen is time completely wasted, is completely meaningless. It's when you look at your present and feel that it is intolerable, that you can't stand where you're sitting right now that forces you to put all your hope into the future, right? To just look for something, to grasp for something, to hang on to hope that it will be better. Now, Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians whose present circumstances are pretty miserable as they are being persecuted for their faith. And what does Peter do? He gives them something to hang on to. He gives them something to look forward to. He puts something on their horizon to help them in the here and now. But does that make their present meaningless? As if they're just meant to just sit around and wait for the next cool thing to happen? Will you be the judge as we read these words again? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's when the present circumstances are intolerable, when we are suffering right now, that force us to look to the future. You already know that the vacation coming up is not going to solve all your problems. You already know that once you graduate and start looking for a job, your life is not going to get easier. You already know that whatever it is that these human earthly events on our horizon cannot deliver on the promise to make our lives easy and comfortable, so why do we keep expecting them to? Why do we keep making plans and, and giving birth to this hope and then letting that hope die as soon as the event comes and goes and it's back to real life? It's because we have these agonizing, gnawing questions that we're just hoping can be solved. Like, am I going to be okay? Can I make it? To the next big thing? Or am I going to crumble under the pressure of work, of school, of relationships? Am I going to break under the weight of my own guilt? We're looking for some kind of solace. But Peter says, praise God, because God alone has done what God alone can do. We feel like we're going to break under the pressure and the stress and monotony of work, of life, of relationships. God's answer to all of our pressures, all of our struggles, all of our guilt resound from the empty tomb of our Savior Jesus. He says, I love you. Think about what an amazing fact that is. 
everything we are searching for, the kind of relief that we, that we want, that we look, keep looking to vacations or purchases or events to give us, are freely granted to us in Jesus Christ. Through the name of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, you belong to God now. You have this hope that is alive. It is imperishable. Your relationship with Jesus that Peter calls faith will not die. It will not perish, spoil, or fade. It's not like a vacation that comes and goes and it leaves you wanting more at the end. No, your relationship with Jesus is the blessing that keeps on giving. You belong to God. You are God's now. And it's not like you figured this out. It's not like you talked to some trip advisor and they said, hey, you should really consider believing in the name of the one true God. But no, Peter says, God has caused this to happen. In his great mercy, he has given you new birth. In your first birth, your biological birth, you didn't have a lot to say then, did you? You didn't really contribute a whole lot. A lot of things just happened to you. You came from a world of darkness and seclusion into a world of bright possibilities, right? And now here you are. But when God caused you to undergo new birth, he took you from the world of darkness and sin and guilt and pressure and stress and anxiety and depression, and he delivered you into a kingdom of grace into a new existence that you didn't know before. And he did this through his mercy, his unfailing love that he has shown you through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And through that life, death, and resurrection, you have victory over your death, and you have the promise of heaven, of peace with God waiting for you. So you do have something on the horizon to look forward to, now, I believe it was Johnny Cash who was the first one to say that Christians can be so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good. Does that seem to be Peter's perspective? Put your sights on heaven. Heaven is coming. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be at peace with Jesus. And so right now, you're just in the waiting room. You're just sitting around waiting for Christ to come back or waiting for God to call you home. Is that true? Does the hope of heaven make our right now meaningless? I don't think that's Peter's perspective at all. And I don't think that's God's perspective, nor yours. Because he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is inviting you and me to see our lives in a completely different context. If the purpose, if the meaning of your life is to just have as much fun as possible, to have as much mountaintop, high, positive experiences as possible, then the times when you're not having fun will seem like such a waste of time. The times that aren't good, in fact, the times that are bad, will seem like they're going contrary to life's purpose. 
For instance, if your purpose in life, if the meaning in your life comes from always having the newest iPhone, for example, then when you drop the phone and when it cracks and breaks, you're going to react terribly because this kind of thing is not supposed to happen to you. You're supposed to always have nice stuff, right? What's the difference in Peter's perspective? Is that if you see yourself as you really are, as someone who is situated on the timeline between Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus' return, that means that the goods, the good experiences in your life are great. And the bad experiences, they serve a purpose. The purpose that they serve, Peter says, they're trials, tests. Not like the star test that many students are going to go take this week. Sorry to bring it up where you go into a testing facility, a testing room, and you got to write it down. you got to show what you've learned. you got to show how good your school is at teaching you. So that's a test where you put forth your best effort and you prove your stuff, right? Is that the kind of test Peter's talking about? I don't think so. Peter's not talking about, he's not saying that the bad things that happen in your life, the bad news from the doctor or the setback at work or when you get a call and you, the the flight that you booked for your vacation has been canceled on you, that's not God pushing you into the Colosseum to see if you can put up with it, to see if you can handle it. No, this is your chance, Peter says, for you to see what's really valuable, what really matters. These are your chances, brothers and sisters, the bad times, the suffering, the grief, the trials. These are your chances to see what the most important thing about you is. It's your relationship with the God who created you, who redeemed you through Jesus. That relationship we call faith. That is your most precious possession. That is the most important thing about you because that is the one thing that lasts forever. Vacations are great, but they don't go with you when you die. The stuff that you buy is great. It can be fun, but they don't go with you when you die. But God has given you a relationship with him, rebirth into the knowledge of who he is and how much he loves you, and that you'll carry with you even beyond death. And so the bad times are little reminders to focus on what really matters in life. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's a bit of a paradox, wouldn't you say? The most important relationship you have is with someone you've never met. The most important event in your entire life was millennia before you were even born. And the coolest, most exciting, most important thing that's going to happen to you is far off in the future. You don't know when it's going to come, and there's no possible way you can envision what it's going to be like. Ah, I must apologize, though. I was a little misleading in my language. You, you know Jesus. Peter says you have not seen him, though, with your physical eyes, but you know him. You've met him. You were introduced to Jesus as your Savior at your baptism. 
through water and the word, the Holy Spirit caused you to believe in Jesus and united you into this family of faith. You see Jesus as members of Trinity and of churches in our fellowship are going to come forward for the sacrament of communion. And we witness Jesus' body and blood given to us so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good, so that we can have our sins forgiven and be strengthened in our faith. You see Jesus with the eyes of faith. One day you will see him with your own eyes. And it's true that the death and resurrection of Christ happened 2,000 years before you were even born. But in a very real way, you were there. Because when Jesus suffered on the cross, he suffered the death of a sinner. He suffered your death. You died. And when Jesus emerged from the tomb full of life and victorious That's your life, and that's your victory. So it's like you were there. You are united to his death and resurrection through faith. And the joy and the hope of entering heaven seems so far off and seems so unimaginable, but that joy is yours right now through the grace and love of God. So is it true that Christians are so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good? No, that's not true. It might seem like having Jesus as your most important relationship in life would diminish your other relationships to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, but it doesn't. It makes them better. You know why? Because now you can take the pressure off. Jesus is the one who gives you belonging, who gives you love, who gives you mercy, who gives you forgiveness of sins. You don't have to look for that in your spouse or in your kids or in your friends. You're free to just love them, to just serve them. It will make your relationship with them better. It will make your vacations more fun. Because these trips are not the the problem-solving trips that they might have been outside of Christ to give you relief and peace that only God can give. But through Christ, you have relief and you have peace. So you're free to just enjoy your time on vacation. But then when you get back to work, you're free to see the purpose of those moments too. See, to be in Christ and to know God, your Heavenly Father, is to see yourself where you are as a place that God has placed you on purpose. To give Him praise, to do good, to give Him glory with your life. No, Christians who are truly heavenly-minded will be a ton of earthly good. Because we recognize that the here and now, now is our chance to serve. Now's our chance to glorify God, and now's our chance even to suffer for his name, if need be. So there really is no letdown effect with Easter. The fact that Jesus has died and is now risen is a fact that you live in for the rest of your life. You live victorious over sin and death. You live in Easter joy your entire life. It never diminishes. This is your inheritance Peter says, will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's yours forever. Amen.